Well, good morning, North Point family. It is good to be with you here today. So glad to see you. And uh, my name is Michael Vole. I'm the lead pastor here at North Point. I know there are many people that are here for the very first time. I want to thank you for being here. And I just trust that God wants to speak into your life, whether this is your first time or whether you've been here hundreds of times, I know that God wants to capture our attention. He wants to capture our imagination. Do wanna do a big old shout out to those who are joining us in Vegarville and those who are tuning in in Chauvin and people who are joining us online all around the world. We do wanna welcome you. We are in our Philippians series and uh, we are making our way through the book of Philippians. Today we find ourselves in chapter three and I wanna talk today about the source of our joy, the source of our joy. Now, what do you take pride in? I want you to think about something. What is it that you take pride in or what is it that you derive tremendous joy from doing? All of us have something that we just love doing. We take tremendous pride or pleasure in doing that. What is it for you? I was with a gentleman this week and, and he loves to collect things and he's got an amazing collection, a collection of old cars and uh, some, some antiques and, and man, as I was, I was looking through the things that he had, I was just blown away uh, at, at some of the collection that he has and his wife have. They are tremendously generous people, but there are some things that they just love to, to, to collect and, and love to, to do. And maybe some of you are in that same kind of boat. You love collecting. Perhaps some of you, you take tremendous pride and pleasure in your cooking skills. You know, maybe some of you are like, man, I bake the best rhubarb pie in all of Sturgeon County, right? Uh, maybe some of you are, are saying, man, I, I barbecue the meanest brisket in all of northern Alberta. You know, for those of you in Vegarville, someone for sure is thinking, I make the best pierogies in all of the Vegarville area. You know, we take pride maybe in our cooking skills. Perhaps you take pride in your craftsmanship. You know, you, you maybe knit or crochet, you like to make things, perhaps you like to, to, to build all sorts of structures, and there's something about making something with your own hands, and then you step back and you look at it. Have you ever been in that place? Yesterday, I spent about 12 hours in our backyard, and I was doing some projects for Melissa, making some privacy fencing and different things like that, and I was tired, and you use muscles that, that you're just not used to using, but at the very end of it, after that 12 hours, man, just being able to step back and go, oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about. In fact, even this morning, I walked out on my deck with a coffee, and I was like, oh yeah, I like that. I like that. It just feels... Good, maybe you're someone who really takes pride in their parenting. You just love to be able to see how your kids or your grandkids are growing up and, and the, the different personalities that are emerging, their different skills and ability, and you, you have all sorts of pride and you take all sorts of pleasure. There is joy in seeing them grow. You see, there are all, thing, there are all sorts of things in life that we can take joy in. All sorts of things that, that we can say, man, you know what? I get a, a tremendous amount of joy from that. But friends, I need you to understand that every one of those things that I've just mentioned, they are fleeting. And every one of those things has a shelf life. And today, we're going to see where our joy needs to be humbly rooted in order to grow and flourish for the long term. So let's jump into the book of Philippians. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And this is what the Apostle Paul says to that church in Philippi. He says, 
Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard to you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, although I am myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has in mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. It's a mouthful. We're going to unpack this this morning. But first of all, Paul leads with these words, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. Do you notice that to rejoice is actually a command? He's not saying, hey, I've got an idea for you. Maybe you should rejoice. No, he's actually giving a command. Rejoice in the Lord. And if it's a command, then it tells me that we can do this regardless of how we're presently feeling. We can actually rejoice in the Lord. Friends, I need you to understand today, to rejoice is a choice. To rejoice is a choice. You see, rejoicing is a duty. It's not a feeling. We're often controlled by our feelings. We're overwhelmed by our feelings. And if we don't feel it, then we don't feel like we have to live it. We don't, we don't feel like we have to actually do that. And, and I believe today that God wants us to get beyond our feelings and to make a decision to rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. You know, there's something about joyful people that just attract others, isn't there? Man, when you're around someone who's joyful, they're like a magnet, because there's, there's a lot of joylessness out there. Have you noticed that? A lot of joylessness. So when there's someone who is joyful, they are attractive. There is nothing worse than a Christian, someone who says that they're a follower of Jesus Christ, and yet they've got a sour face all the time. Have you ever been around anyone like that? I love Jesus, and he has made me mad, right? Like, that's not a great testimony, friends. You don't want to be around someone like that. And yet often, often even Christians don't display the kind of joy that they should. To rejoice, friends, is a choice. And we are supposed to rejoice in the Lord. You see, there's a lot of circumstances of our lives. There's a lot of things that you might be going through today that are very difficult, and you're wondering, how am I going to get through this? Friends, you don't rejoice necessarily in some of the things that are going on in your life. You rejoice in the Lord. That's the whole point that the Apostle Paul is trying to get across. We are rejoicing in the character and the qualities of God himself. And when we do that, it actually serves as a protection for us. It serves as a protection for our hearts when we rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice because we have confidence in the character of God. He is faithful. He is true. He is dependable. He is merciful, he is full of love, he is full of righteousness and justice. He does what is right and just. God can be counted on. Now that's something to rejoice about, isn't it? I mean, think about that. Just those qualities that I listed off, that is something to rejoice in today. But now the Apostle Paul, he's going to move into some territory, he's gonna go into some deep water, and it's some deep water that we haven't seen to this point, because up until this point in the book of Philippians, it's been pretty light reading. 
Overall, though he has talked about some really deep things, he's done it with a massive smile. He's done it with this joyful heart, and now he's about to take a deep dive because he's got to address a situation that is popping up in the church. Now, what we need to understand is that in the first 10 years of the Christian movement, After Jesus died and rose again and then ascended back to the Father in heaven, those first 10 years, all of the Christians were Jewish people. Almost all of the Christians were Jewish people. And so Christians became a sect or a small group of the Jewish religion. That's that's really what they were all about. And they followed this Jesus, whom they said was the Messiah, and yet they still very much identified as Jews. And so most of them, in fact, all of them, pretty much believed that in order to become a follower of Jesus, in order to become a Christian, you actually had to become a Jew first, and then you could become a Christian. Because that was the air that they were breathing. That was, the, that was the kind of atmosphere that they were living in. So it was natural for them. They're like, well, we're all Jews and, and we're followers of Jesus Christ. Therefore, if you want to become a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to embrace the Jewish religion and then you can embrace Jesus Christ. So they had this understanding that if you were going to follow Jesus Christ, you first had to come under the umbrella or under the covering of the Jewish religion. So if if you're a woman, what you would do is you would come under the law that is written in the Old Testament, and that would be your covering. And, And men would do the same thing. They would come under that covering of the law, but the men had just one other little thing they had to take care of, and that was something called circumcision. I'm just throwing it out there, friends. Like, if you're going to start, you know, a new movement, like, it's probably best not to start with a movement where the first thing you have to say is, I know this is going to get a little touchy here, kids, but uh, you're going to have to have a little bit of a surgical procedure. And you know back then it was not nearly as fun as it is today. And it ain't fun today. But, But they say you have to be circumcised in order for that to happen. But this changed very early on in the Christian movement. In fact, we read in the book of Acts, chapter 15, and I would encourage you to read this maybe later on this afternoon or sometime this week, that there was a council in Jerusalem of of all the leadership of this new Christian group, and, and they began to debate, and they decided upon the future of the Christian movement, they realized, they realized this, that Gentiles were saved by grace, as were all people, including Jews. That all of us were saved by grace. It wasn't because of what we were doing. It wasn't because of the laws that we were coming under. It wasn't even that we had been under the surgeon's steel. It wasn't because of that that we are saved. It is because the grace of Jesus Christ. You see, the church isn't about being a Jew or a Gentile. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful thing today. That, that we are new creation. But still there were some that weren't thrilled with this new reality. Some weren't very happy with that. You see, I think all of us, we try to justify ourselves at some point. 
All of us are, are trying to justify ourselves. I mean, I've had people say to me, you know what, following Jesus is just too easy. Becoming a Christian is just too easy. You know, this whole idea that it doesn't cost me anything, I simply need to, to believe in Jesus Christ, believe that he died for my sins and rose again on the third day, and if I will put my trust in him, he will cleanse me of all of my sin, and I'll become a part of the family of God. That just seems way too easy. There must be be a catch. And there's not a catch. You know, I think the Christian movement would grow even larger if we said, listen, in order to become a Christian, in order for you to experience life and life to the full, not only in this world, but in the world to come, eternal life, what you need to do is you need to summit the seven largest mountains on earth. And if you will do that, you can earn salvation for yourself. I think people would love that. I think people would say, really? So, so the seven tallest, like including Everest and K2? Yeah, including Everest and K2. I'm on it. I want eternal life. I'll do whatever it takes. Because we want to justify ourselves. We want to feel like we're working for it. We actually deserve the love of God. And friends, I need you to understand there's nothing we can do to deserve, deserve the love of God. And so these Jews, they stir up quite a trouble. And Paul says, beware of these people. In fact, he says it three times. Beware, beware, beware. He, he's trying to make a very loud and clear point. He says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, and beware of the false circumcision. First of all, he says, beware of the dogs. Jews would often call Gentiles dogs. It was a term of contempt. And Paul is flipping this on its head. And he is using it of Jews who are trying to turn Gentiles into Jews in order to be Christians. He says, beware of the dogs. They're going to bite you. They're going to hurt you with their teaching. He says, beware of the evil workers. Last week, I talked about righteous and wonderful workers like Timothy and Epaphroditus. But these these men and women, they were actually evil workers. The foundation of Jesus Christ that had been built, they're trying to tear down that foundation. And then he says, beware of the false circumcision. Now this rever refers to the Jews who define themselves by their Judaism. Some translation call them the mutilation. And, and it's a play on terms because of the circumcision that they demanded. And these, these false teachers... They are undoing what Christ has already done. They think that they're taking up a noble cause by telling people to observe all sorts of religious laws, but they're sending the Christian movement back to the dark ages because they're undoing everything that Jesus Christ had already done. I want you to know today that true believers are defined by their worship in the spirit of God and they glory in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says. That we would worship God in the spirit and that we would glorify Jesus Christ. We would live in his glory. That is what it is to be a true Christian. So we don't put our confidence in our flesh, whether that's our circumcision or rule keeping or certain observations. We put our confidence in Jesus Christ. That's where our confidence needs to be, not in what we can do. Listen, if you want your son to be circumcised or not circumcised, do whatever you want, friends. If you want to eat kosher, go for it. 
But don't think that somehow by doing those things that God is going to love you any more than he already does. He's not going to love you any more. Then Paul illustrates this with his own life. You see, these Jews are stirring up trouble. They're like, listen, if you want to be a Christian, look at me, right? Look at how holy and righteous I am. Look at us. Look what we're doing. And Paul says, no, I'm going to give you a little illustration. Why don't you look at me? Commentator David Guzik says this, confidence in the flesh is what we often refer to as legalism. You might have heard that term, that we can be legalistic. Now, I need you to be very clear, and I want to be very clear with you today. Obeying God and doing what he asks us to do is not legalism. There are many things in the Bible that God asks us to do, and when we obey them, that's not being legalistic. But judging our relationship with Jesus based on your performance, based on how well you're doing that particular week, that is legalism. And it'll, it'll hurt you, it'll break you. Legalism says, man, God is mostly unhappy with me, so I need to do everything I can do to make him happy. And some of you are living that out all the time. And that's why you don't have any joy in your life, because you're just always trying to earn the approval of God. I want you to know today, he already approves of you. He already loves you. He sent Jesus for you. God's opinion of us is based on a relationship with God through faith. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9, the apostle Paul says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And this is where Paul goes off. Paul goes, you want to boast? You want to boast at how close you are with God? I'm going to boast now. Now listen to me. Here's my resume and it's better than all of yours. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm from the nation of Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, we all know that that was just birthright. Like, he was just born into that. There was nothing you can do about that. But he's saying, hey, you think you're all that in a bag of chips? I'm just telling you that even before I was born, man, I was called into this. Like, I am the, I am the upper echelon. But then he goes on, and he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. There were essentially two kinds of Jews. There were the Hebraic Jews. These were the more traditional Jews. Man, they were, they were the Jews of the book, okay? They, they were very traditional in their teaching, in their thought, in their life. And they, they spoke uh, Hebrew and Aramaic. But then there was the other kind of Jews, and they were called the Hellenistic Jews, and these were the modern Jews. And what they did is they took on Greek or Hellenistic culture, they basically said, man, we don't want really anything to do with the old. We want the new. And, and there was a real clash between these two groups of Jews. Man, the Hebraics were like, those Hellenists, they are, they are terrible. They, they, they don't follow God. They don't follow his ways. And the Hellenists were like, man, those Hebraics, they are absolutely out of touch with reality. And the Apostle Paul says, man, you know what I was? I was a Hebraic Jew. Man, I was no sellout. I wasn't like those Hellenists. I truly followed God. And then he says, I was a Pharisee. These religious leaders had a high view of scripture. Man, they were the rock stars of the religious elite. In fact, at any point, as we look back in history, we see that there was probably never more than 6,000 people that were a part of the Pharisees. And Paul says, I was one of them. 
I was one of them. And then he says, I was zealous. You see, not only did he speak the words, not only did he talk the talk, he walked the walk. In fact, he was so zealous for God in the scriptures that when this new Christian movement started up, he was like, these people are flakes. These people are not of God. And he persecuted them and he killed them. You see, he went to the next level. And then he says, I was blameless. Man, when it comes to the laws of the Old Testament, I followed them all. Totally blameless. I mean, Talk about a resume. And all of these things were things that at one point the Apostle Paul would have said, man, I love this. I take joy in this. He would have been proud of these accomplishments, but no more. No more. He doesn't take pride in these things any longer. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 11, he goes on and he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I wanna know Christ, he goes on. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. You see, Paul looks back at his former life and at his former resume, and he sees it as a loss. Preacher Charles Spurgeon says that Paul was actually doing some spiritual arithmetic. He was counting the cost. He had, he had two ledgers. He had profit and loss. And when he looks back on his old life, he considers all of it as loss. What once was gain, what once he thought was so great, he realizes was loss because it kept him from knowing Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is. Can you say that of your past? Maybe some of you, you've got tons of accomplishments. You've done so many things in your work life, in your family life. You've got so many hobbies and you excel at them. But you realize that it's not made you any more joyful. It's not brought you any closer to Jesus Christ. Maybe you thought God would be happy with all of your accomplishments and all of your efforts, but they've left you hopeless, lifeless, and lacking purpose. See, Paul doesn't miss a beat. Not only are his past accomplishments worthless, but everything is a loss. Like even now, everything is a loss compared to knowing Jesus. You see, Paul has been a Christian for about 30 years, and 30 years after considering all of his former life lost, he is once again doing some spiritual math, and he continues to say, that still is lost 30 years later. And then he looks at his present life, and at this point, we know the Apostle Paul is in prison. He has pretty much been stripped of everything. He doesn't have very many worldly possessions. Almost everything is gone, and he still considers it loss. You see, he's not hanging by a pool at his Mediterranean mansion and saying, oh, I'm going to do some mental exercise. Is, is God still my all in all? Friends, he has nothing. And he still says, all of the things that I had, all of the spiritual pedigree that I have, that's all loss compared to Jesus Christ. In fact, he says it's all garbage. 
Now, listen, that word garbage, I need you to understand, that's just us English people being, being all, all bashful, all right? Because that word actually means excrement or dung. It carries a very, very strong slang and colloquialism. And he's, he doesn't just say, oh yeah, it's just trash. You know, it's just not something that I want. He says it is dung, it is excrement, all those things that I thought were once so amazing. Now listen, you don't put your excrement or your dung, you don't put it on a platter and show it to your friends. Unless you're maybe a junior high boy, you don't, you don't brag, <laughs> right? You don't brag about your excrement or your dung. What you do is you flush it down the drain. There's nothing to brag about there. But if you keep on bragging about your past and all the amazing things that you've done for God, the Apostle Paul would say, that is garbage. You're not making yourself more appealing to God. He already loves you. In fact, back in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it says, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Friends, I'm here to tell you these are not shop towels. They're not full of grease. The, the whole definition of filthy rags, and I know some of you are gonna hate me today. Man, these are menstrual rags, friends. These are maxi pads. These are not things where you go, oh man, my righteous acts are so amazing. Look at all of them. Friends, we throw them away. They're not amazing. We don't want them in our lives. All of those good things that we think, oh man, God is gonna be so impressed with me and all the amazing things that I do. What the Apostle Paul says, it is dung. It is, it is not fit for consumption, friends. It's not what we have done, it's what Christ has done. That's where our strength comes from. Isn't that amazing? Don't you want to know Jesus, the kind of God who at your very worst still loves you and pursues you? Some of you are just always trying to say, God, aren't I worth it? God, I haven't sworn for two days. Aren't you so happy with me? Aren't you so proud of me? And I just want you to know that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Does he want you to become more like him? Absolutely. Does he want you to sin less and to pursue him more? Absolutely. But friends, I'm just here to tell you, you can't measure up to God. You'll never measure up to God. You just need to get to know him. And that's what Paul says, that we would know him. The goal of the Christian life is to know Jesus. Man, when you meet someone and you, and, and you begin to recognize them and you begin to go a little deeper in that relationship, that's when you can say you know them. Man, there's so many people that are at North Point and sometimes I'll be at the grocery store and someone will say, Pastor Mike, it's so great to see you and I'm just dying inside because I'm like, I recognize you, but I don't know you. And now because we're not at church, like I, now I'm out of context and, and, it, and it's very embarrassing for me. But if I spend time with them, if I have a meal with them, if, if we actually take time together, I get to know them. Friends, there are different degrees of knowing God. And some of us are at the, hey bud, stage, and we high five, and we don't know him. Oh, that we would go deeper and get to know God. Man, he's not hiding out from us, friends. He wants to be known. And Paul says, I want to know him. And not only does he want to know him, he wants to, secondly, he wants to know the power of Jesus' resurrection. Friends, not only did Jesus die in our place for our sins, but he rose from the grave. The tomb is empty. He's not there. He is alive. 
That's the power of the gospel. Man, the resurrection is not just historical fact. It is historical fact, but it is so much more. It plays out in our lives. Jesus wants to resurrect you today. He wants to bring you back to life. And his power can resurrect your relationships. He can resurrect your body. He can resurrect your priorities, your hopes, and your dreams. And he can make you come alive where all of a sudden your hopes and your dreams become conformed to him and they become his hopes and his dreams. Oh man, that there would be a resurrection in this place today. And then Paul says, not only do I want to know that, but I also want to know Jesus' sufferings. I want to suffer with Jesus. Man, this is where a lot of preachers, they stop preaching. They're like, that does not preach very well. You know me way better than that. I've talked about excrement. I've talked about other things, you know, today. So I'm going to talk about suffering because we believe in the whole word of God that it's profitable and it's good for us. Man, it feels good to know Jesus. It feels good to know his resurrection power, but to know his suffering. Yeah, yeah, Paul would say it's good to know his suffering. Friends, we cannot know the resurrection power of Jesus if we still think we're alive. I think the biggest problem in the North American church is that Christ can't resurrect us because we refuse to die to ourselves. We just keep on thinking, oh, I'm doing good. Look at all the good things that I'm doing, Jesus. Aren't you proud of me? Aren't you impressed with me? And we refuse to die to ourselves. Friends, we've got to come to that place where we're willing to die to ourselves. We serve a Jesus who died in our place. He died to himself. Let's not try to impress Jesus with all the good things that we do. Today, I believe that all of us need to consider these things. We need to consider all those things that we have done as loss compared with knowing Jesus. You can have resurrection today. It's worth losing everything for the eternal glory of Jesus Christ. You know, I'm reminded in the Bible that salvation, that whole idea of being saved, of having a relationship with Jesus, it, it comes in three tenses. We were saved, we are saved or are being saved, and we will be saved. You see, the Bible says that the resurrection is the final component in our salvation, that one day we will be resurrected. And that's what I'm looking forward to. One day this, this body is going to be resurrected. And he wants to resurrect your body as well. So do the accounting, do the math. Is it worth everything to gain Jesus? Is it worth letting go of the garbage to get the resurrection power? Because that's where the joy is. Man, when you let go of that garbage, that's where the joy is. Rejoice in the Lord and let go of everything else. Oh, that we would rejoice in the Lord, in his goodness and what he has already done. And we would let go of all those things that we try to do. Friends, would you stand with me, please? I know I preached hard today. It's in the word. And I think it's for us, just like it was for that Philippian church 2000 years ago because we're still trying to earn our favor with God. Friends, I want you to know that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
and he wants us to know him, but he doesn't want us to take pride in that. Take pride in all the things that we've done. He just wants us to embrace him. So today, if you're here or online or in Vegreville, and you say, I want to embrace Jesus Christ. I want to follow him. I want him to change me from the inside out. If you would say that you want to do that, would you pray with me right now? Let's just bow our heads together. Dear Heavenly Father, I wanna thank you for every person that's here. You love them. Every person you love, every person in this world you love. And you are drawing us to your side. You want us to know you. And so God, as I am praying for those that are at our Edmonton campus and Vegreville, those joining in in Chauvin and those that are online, Lord God, I know that you are drawing people in right now. For those that want to invite you into their lives, I pray right now they would do that. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. That's where I've wronged you. That's where I've wronged others. Forgive me. And may your Holy Spirit come alive in my life to make me new to make me right with you. And Lord, may I know you. May I truly know you. Pray these things in your name.